1: Welcome, everybody, to the Browns Film Breakdown podcast. Uh, we're here today to break down a disappointing loss uh, in Oakland this weekend. I'm your host, John Colosimo, and with me, as always, is Jake Burns. Jake, how are you doing today? Good, John. How are you, man? Uh, I guess a little better than I was last night, but still still a little rankled by this loss.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Pretty frustrating, even as you watch. You know more people have a chance to watch more and more of the tape it is it is still a pretty unfathomable loss
1: yeah even even looking at the rewatch because now i've watched this thing three times now and uh it it still amazes me as i'm watching the fourth quarter uh you know just numerous points where you know i don't understand how we're going to lose even though i've seen it three times you know the positions that we were in we should have taken home a win
0: yeah, there's no doubt the win probability scale probably heavy, heavily favors Cleveland. <clears throat> Excuse me, through the entire fourth quarter, especially when the Browns go up eight, and 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 look pretty comfortably set to take that thing home. Uh, I, I have a hard time watching it and 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 really understanding how they lost that game. I mean, there's the obvious plays that we saw, but it were just so many opportunities. Yeah, the officiating was pretty terrible. But there were just so many opportunities for the Browns to put the game away, and they just couldn't figure it out. And it's still kind of my fear where I don't know if these guys are 100% ready to win all the time. It's just, it's it's going to be a process. You know, you step away a day from it, it's it's a bunch of guys who have lost a bunch of games, and and, and that is a little bit more natural right now than seizing the moment. So it is a little bit understandable that pressure pack situations, they're not always going to perform as we'd hoped they would. I think that they will tell you it was obviously extremely disappointing. It's, that's no surprise to anybody who talks about the game. But it, uh, it, it certainly is one that I think could be a pivotal moment in their season in terms of they, they could either pack it in and and kind of, you know, it's, it's tough, John, when you're traveling back from a West Coast trip like that. You either come together over something like this or you fall apart. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they handle Sunday against a really good Ravens team.
1: Yeah, that's a tough opponent to be coming back uh, on any trip, let alone a letdown like this one. So, I'm hoping that they, um, you know, have the right uh, guy uh, at the head of this thing, meaning Baker Mayfield, not Hugh Jackson, um, and and they can get back off the turf and have a better game.
0: Yeah, no doubt, man. It's it's going to take leaders within that locker room to rally the guys and get them out there on the practice field with passion and and, and the sort of eager hunger. That that you need to have to to win in the NFL, especially you know lagging off of a long flight back home on Sunday night, late Sunday night out there. So um, you know it's it's tough. It's it's unfortunate, but they uh, they 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 battled. They're in the game again, a game they could have won. They could easily be four zero right now as it stands. So they're competing. They're doing what we know they can do. It's just a matter of you know, overcoming that last little hurdle and that's expecting to win and making plays to win football games instead of fearing that losing is going to happen. It'll, it'll come. I, I don't have a doubt. It'll come. There's, there's a lot of talent. It is going to take some, uh, you know, it's just going to take a, a mental switch that turns, I don't have a magic word for it really. It's just a it's a mental switch that happens and things start snowballing and all of a sudden you won three or four in a row and, 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 and you're right where you want to be in a division. It's still early in the year, so it's not it, – nothing's over. Nothing. This doesn't change anything yet. So it's frustrating, it's disappointing, but at the end of the day, there are still positives you can take from this game.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I guess uh, it's time to get into a few of those. Um, you want to start with the offense and what you saw? Yeah, first time they've scored 40
0: points in a game since 2009. First time they've scored 30 since 2014. I mean – John, what more can you want, man? I mean, they they put points on the board. They're led by a quarterback who you can see the, the positive traits are everywhere. The positive traits that a lot of us fell in love with in the pre-draft process are showing up right away. And it's a completely different offense. Every single drive has a potential to be something, go somewhere. He's effective on third downs. He gets the ball out pretty effectively. Now, he had the turnovers. We can go back and forth on who's responsible for the turnovers. If you want to blame him for all four of them, that's fine. I'm sure he will take blame for all four of them. But he's not at blame for all four of those turnovers. The snap was snapped early. He wasn't even prepared for it. The ball off Callaway's hands. I give him blame on the Chris Hubbard, Maurice Hurst sack strip situation. Uh, I give him blame a little bit there because if off a of five-step, if that ball's not out, you got to really feel pressure. But I, it's it's just as easily you can't let somebody drive through you like Hubbard was driven through. So it happens. I don't think he's responsible for a really sloppy game. I thought he played really effectively, showed a lot of really good traits in the pocket. Um, he was good. Nick Chubb obviously was good. I think Chubb only had three carries. He was up over 100 yards and a couple scores. He graded out like a 98 on, on pro football focus. You don't see that very often. But he also did something the NFL has never seen in terms of uh, – that few carries, that many touches. I think Dan Patrick showed, tweeted out something along those lines. So he was special. Uh, Desmond Harrison graded out top three, I think, this week in pro football focus on his pass blocking grade. He had the one holding call, which I thought that holding call was pretty fluky early in the game on a run around the left edge. Yep. And it looked like he almost pancaked uh, his – I think it was Bruce Irvin, or, or maybe it was Arden Key, I'm not sure. But they called holding – one of the few holding calls in that game, which is still kind of laughable. Um but, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of good signs offensively. Callaway was just weird, weird day. I mean, he's going to struggle catching the football. It's going to be for him, can he mitigate or offset those drops with enough big plays like we saw on that slant that he – it wasn't a slant, it was a dig that he took, you know, 50, 59, 60 yards, almost took it to the house. So you're going to really be fighting that with him. How, many, how can he sort of harbor in or, 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 or harness the drop issue – and, and produce more positive than negative, because he brings a certain amount of value, a, a high amount of value, in in the deep threat passing game. But they did enough, John. They did enough to win a football game offensively. There's no, there's no doubt about that.
1: No, I agree. The you know performances were, were pretty good. We had uh, a lot of good things happen. You know, Baker. You know, just gives me that feeling that you know these the drops and uh, you know the penalties and bad calls and, and those types of things can be overcame. And, uh, you know, he almost did it, you know, despite what I counted as seven drops, you know, seven drops, three by uh, Callaway, well, one from just about every receiver, Landry, Higgins, uh, Njoku, and even Duke Johnson, you know, that, that's just really weird, and I don't expect to see that again, uh, but there was, you know, a good hundred yards left uh, on the table based on those drops and uh you know so that was frustrating but you know on the flip side you know this this offense this offense is not a finished product and it can produce now uh, so I'm excited to see it uh, as the season goes on and people develop
0: yeah I, I mean their second game out now and, and yeah, let's think about it here they've they've scored 42 points plus what is it they put up 21 um, 21 points well they didn't it was it 24-7. What was the final of that Jets game? I think they got that two-point conversion. So they put up, yeah, well, I mean, in, in a little over two quarters, Baker was responsible for all 21 points. So in six quarters, they put up 60 points. So, I mean, you carry, you, you do some basic math, they're going to average points. The kid, the kid's good, John. He just, he's good. He changes the culture of that offense. He sees the entire field. I tweeted that out just a little bit ago, a few hours back. I, I don't want any other rookie quarterback. There's there's no case nope. that can be made for me to want any other one of them right now. I get it's early. I, spare me all that. But just the traits that we wanted to see, the leadership, the poise within the pocket, the delivery, the accuracy. The, he's even feeling the footwork within the pocket, the field climbing the pocket stuff that we, I was a little concerned about has shown to be a positive for him now. So it's a home run. It's only going to get better. We're going to be in a lot of football games with that kid as our quarterback. So I leave feeling really good about that. that, that I mean, obviously it was a really fluky game that got really weird, and, and maybe if you run that game 100 times, the Browns lose it twice. But it, it, it happened. But at the end of the day, I, I find the silver lining in knowing that we have a quarterback for the next 10 years, I think that can be a really good football player.
1: Yeah, there's nothing fluky about what's happening here. You know, uh, watching this game a couple of times, having watched the last half a couple of times from last week, uh, you know, this is not fluky. This is not fool's gold. Uh, this kid is is genuinely already a good quarterback. And uh, you know, PFF's grading him there. You know, he's at what an 85.8 on this six quarter so far. Uh, 90 plus. Um, uh, 90 plus score. Uh, from a clean pocket for him you know which a lot of times is what they're going to point to to see true performance of the quarterback Uh, I mean that's that's some serious stuff from a kid and uh, you know having him on that rookie deal is no joke either I'm working on an article uh, on this and I won't get too far into it but people have talked about how much of an advantage it is for a team to have a good quarterback on that rookie deal and uh, it only widened this offseason because now your top five quarterback contracts are 29 million is the average salary baker's making like six you know that's that's a huge huge uh bonus and advantage that we need to be taking uh, advantage of over the next couple of years where where we're getting the value like that that's like a that's a, a top tier player at a critical position that you can have on your team specifically because of this advantage so i'm hoping to see it
0: yeah, good point John. That's a great point about his contract. A lot of people brought that sort of brought that up in the preseason and I probably underestimated it because I was really concerned about rushing him but again a lot of my you know understanding of, of where Baker was was wrong in in terms of what I was being sold by the team and where he's actually at. So it was or it will be I'm sorry based on what you're talking about it will be an extreme advantage for them one that they can use to attack free agency in positions around him and, the, and improve the defense where we saw, and we'll get to that later, a supreme drop-off from cornerback two, Terrence Mitchell, to cornerback three and four, and E.J. Gaines and, and T.J. Carey. So uh, to, to round out offensively, though, Darren Fells played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had 23, let me see how many total snaps. He had 39 total snaps. Obviously had that big 49-yard touchdown. He made a nice play on that ball in crowded coverage. Uh, Treder had a nice bounce-back game, I thought. Hubbard was fine. had that had an unfortunate that unfortunate play with Hurst, which first made a really good play. Like that was a really effective play, reaching his arm out and knocking that ball out of Baker's hands. And it, it brings us back to the draft. I mean, Maurice Hurst is their best interior defensive lineman, and he's a freaking fifth round pick. I wanted him badly. I wanted. I know, a and a badly. lot of guys did, man. It just, I don't know. You're taking a bunch of risks on character people. You can take a risk on that kid who cleared cleared medically, whatever. Not going to really. For, you know, fire myself up too much about that but Njoku had a decent bounce back game had the drop his drop the thing I'm worried about with Njoku John is that everybody's going to drop the football in the NFL but certain guys have a knack for in key moments dropping the football and it just gets magnified so intensely and he has this unfortunate drop and big moments sort of thing that, that hovers over him he played well he just had that drop when I think the Browns had gone down 34-28 at that point. And the Ra- so the Raiders had gotten the fumbled snap and kicked the field goal, or the fumbled snap. They ended up scoring, but they kicked the field goal. So it was early fourth quarter. You know, you're know you in the black hole down there, and you need to get something going. The Browns haven't scored in a good while, and it's third down. and I think it was actually a second down play where he throws that ball up the right seam to Najoku, and it just – he just doesn't bring it in he just hits his fingertips and falls and it's like you know week 1 the big drop came on that third down Tyrod put that corner out to him and he had a chance to reel it in and didn't reel it in so that's something that's unfortunate that he just has to get rectified he had a couple really nice hand catches throughout the game i thought and again i thought he blocked much much cleaner than he has any other week and his score reflected it as a 64 he was good it's just that he's going to have to overcome that big drop and big moments thing that's kind of plaguing him right now. Uh, Go ahead. Do you have any thoughts on him?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I know that exact play that you're talking about, and I'm pretty sure it was a third down because I I remember it as a drive killer. And it just as easily could have ended up in the arms of that DB, you know. We were lucky, really, that he was going for that tackle, uh, and so he didn't uh, get his hands on that ball. But he kind of scooped it and put it in the air, and it could have just easily gone the other way for six. Yeah.
0: Yep, I agree. Rashard Higgins played well. He's just dependable, and I like it about him. He's a crisp route runner. I just like him. I'm glad he's a part of the Browns. He's not going to do anything exceptional all the time. He's just kind of like that guy you need—a steady wide receiver three, in my opinion. He's he's a good he's a good football player. Uh, guys who struggled um, severely, grade wise, Antonio Callaway graded out of forty-seven point nine based on how many drops he had feels about right to me you can't drop the football that much the two-point conversion drop was tear you know it was tough the yep. the curl drop on the pick six was tough he had to drop ball on a screen pass that I thought could have got some really good yardage so just just tough I, I something seemed sort of off about him he could have been plagued by something going on leg wise. I, I don't know I'm not going to read too far into it it just Didn't seem like he was there mentally and in the focus aspect of things. But everybody else was fine. I mean, everybody else graded above a 50. Carlos Hyde was on the lower side. But pro football focus will never appreciate Carlos Hyde for what he does. And I, I get it. Nick Chubb is a better ball carrier. Like, I'm not denying that. I think you'd have to be pretty stubborn Carlos Hyde fan not to see that Nick Chubb should be getting more carries than he's getting. And he should probably be getting more carries than Carlos Hyde. Um, but they, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. You can't deny Nick Chubb was special in this game. and He reached top-end speeds we haven't seen from running backs all too often, so the speed question that a lot of people had uh, is, is kind of out the window too. It, it'd be really silly not to start him and get him a lot more carries did you but see any I, numbers
1: on that, Jake? Did you see any numbers that uh, give us an idea of how he compares to some of the faster backs in the league based on uh, what he did Sunday? I, I thought it, I thought I
0: saw he was like the, the top three recorded running back speed in the NFL. Is the, the, the ball not the um, not the second half inside zone run, but the the counter he ran in the first half for the sixty three yarder mm-hmm. when he got up the right sideline? It was a, I was stunned. I was like, holy was cow! Two. He is was taking two. off down the sideline. So yeah, I was, I already was 21 and some change miles per hour. So it was top three running back top speed in the NFL this year. Um, you know, and that's about opportunity. Sometimes, sometimes guys don't break away from a, from a pile like that and get to top speed, but he's, he was moving, man. And that's, he was a four five forty guy. That was some good football speed. I didn't see a ton of that sort of top gear breakaway speed. Like I thought Sony Michelle had more of that at Georgia, but that was a good run. Good, good carry. I thought it, it, they have options. I mean, it's, it's good to see. I, the thing I don't understand about the draft class, or I, I would love an answer on this, and we don't seem to be able to get it, is why on earth Earl Watford is dressing over Austin Corbett. I, I doesn't. I have no idea. He's terrible. He was in on the goal line again, and he just gets driven off the football. He, it's it's, and this guy's different now in Kansas City, but you know it's obviously very similar to Cam Irving. Like it just he's getting completely demolished off. He's like a split second slow off the snap every time too. So it's strange, but it it is offensively. You put up 42 points. You should win football games in the NFL and offensively. They played well enough. Everybody across the board played well enough for them to win that game.
1: Yeah. uh, I just want to make a uh, quick comment, uh, bringing it back to Chubb. And uh, I was, I was just as shocked as you when I saw him take off like that. Uh, And let me tell you, you know, For people that don't know, uh, Nick Chubb, when he first got into college football, was unbelievable at Georgia, Uh, and he had a horrific knee injury, and he never quite got everything back, but that looked like the first time that I'd seen that out of Chubb since he was a freshman at Georgia, and let me tell you, that Nick Chubb Chubb might have been drafted over Saquon Barkley.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. He was a freak of nature, and he still is really a freak amongst college kids, right? Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the knee injury set him back. There's no denying that. And and that's a good point, John. That might be something that we need to look into is, is he fully back from the ACL and, 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 and are we going to get the best version of Nick Chubb moving forward? Great
1: point. No, that would be a steal. If we did a hell of a steal. Yeah. And then there's no reason to, to
0: think to, I mean, the first four weeks he's put together really impressive runs it feel good too like the kind of cuts you want the sort of second level cuts you want like the in the second run that he beat the inside zone he obviously makes the cut to make the linebacker the untouched linebacker miss but the second level one two plant that he puts on the safety was ridiculous so uh, that's obviously what you want to see which is which is good let's let's shift to uh, a shift to defense top four scores uh is Demarius Randall was a 90.4 thought he played his butt off He's, he's a good player. I mean, that trade giving Kaiser for Randall is just an absolute home run. And it's starting to feel like more and more of the deals that John Dorsey put together were pretty good deals. So yep. that, that's just a steal of a trade for us. I don't, I don't know how Green Bay could let him walk. It's interesting. Miles Garrett, I thought Miles played his butt off, especially well in the run game, uh, which he graded out really well run defensively. thought he was being held like crazy. There were a couple times where I saw Colton Miller's hand wrapped around his neck, as like almost hooking his neck as he was getting around him. But also, Derek Carr got, got he gets the ball out fast. He doesn't drop deep in the pocket and he gets the ball out fast. So that's kind of the antidote for pass rush. And we'll cover the pass defense, but that's sort of where I was with Miles. I thought he played really well. Chad Thomas played five snaps and graded out of seventy six point six. I. I'm not reading anything into that. There were a couple instances where he just gets destroyed off the football. I, I see a hard route for that to be ever be a pick that gets turned around. Um, and then Jannard Avery played 42 snaps and graded out at a 69.7. He's just a good football player. He can do so many different things for them. And he had he had the strip sack force fumble play that got butchered by the the NFL. And oh this, yeah. This in-the-grasp nonsense that I'm, I'm seeing is just silly. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Those are your top four guys.
1: Yeah, Jake, uh, I thought those guys had, had pretty decent uh, games. I mean, Chad, not really. I didn't even notice him, but uh, at least he graded out in the couple of plays he did play. Um, I thought Emmanuel had a um, little bit of a uh, tough game. I don't, it didn't look too effective, but not bad either. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Miles is just a monster. And, um, you know, and Demarius Randall that just looks like a steal. I mean, just changing something and nothing into into something. Uh, He's playing and grading out as an elite level player right now. Um, So really exciting to see that. Um, uh, But, you know, losing Mitchell, you know, um, in the secondary, looks like it's it's going to hurt us quite a bit.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. And and Guys I thought would play better who did not play well. Larry Ogunjobi did not grade out well in the passing game. I thought the Raiders did a nice job of working to double him as often as they could. And they did a nice job with it. Kirksey did not grade out well. He seems just first game back slow. And then you have TJ Carey. Mitchell actually graded out at a 40.5, which feels low to me. But they picked on him. They picked on opposite Denzel Ward. They just – they ran – A bunch of rub routes against man to man coverage, which were really well done. And they even did a nice job of running selling rub routes and going back off of them. And then uh, some double move stuff. They worked back shoulder. Then, in in situations where they felt the Browns going into drop coverage, they did a nice job of working the middle of the field against Brown safeties who were just not there. Uh, They picked opposite Demarius Randall as often as they could. Did a nice job. Derek Kinder graded out at thirty six point eight. Peppers was a fifty five point three. But they did a nice job of working away from those guys. So grades wise, not nothing really to write home about defensively. I thought Oakland just had a really good game plan. What did what did uh you know what did you think?
1: Yeah, I thought um, I thought Greg. Kind of got worked over by uh, by Gruden in this game, you know. They um, and they got us out in some some really uh, bad scenarios, and they found good matchups. They did luck out that Mitchell went down, uh, you know. But uh, we had that uh, late TD to uh, Cook um, that Derek Kintram was covering on the outside. Did you see that play?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, they're they're going to have to run somebody out there with Cooks, whether that's a linebacker or safety. So I guess the situation isn't that great for the Browns, but it ends up being, it's just tough. Like you just need Kendrick to make that. But I actually thought Cook's pushed off or Cook just pushed off. I I think he was in terrible position. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that he might've gotten away with one there. You know, it's just still, I don't think that, you know, if you have that matchup, I don't think we're going to win too many reps. um, You know, if the quarterback can put the ball up high on him. You're
0: right, John. If they, It sometimes is a matter of the throw is just good enough and the catch is just good enough to beat it. Like I, I'm with you. I don't want Kendrick covering Cook. He's not going to beat him height-wise and, and probably not from an aesthetic athlete positional wise in, in high-point situations. I do think Cook pushed off. He did that a couple times and just kind of got away with it. I'm not sure what better matchup the Browns can get there they maybe put a linebacker out there on him. I'm not sure. It's, it, it was just, it was just a good throw and a good catch. The Browns are probably going to do a little bit more of that too. It's, the defensively, here's the problem, John. I'm going to go off on a little tangent. The Browns do not disguise coverage at all. So they play Tampa two, a ton of Tampa two. What I mean by Tampa two, it was made uh, famous by Monty Kiffin in the Tampa Bay years, in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they would send their Mike linebacker, in this case the Browns' Joe Schobert, deep down the middle of the field. So you really – cover two is – and anytime you hear cover, guys, all that means is who – how many are accountable for the back layer coverage of the defense, the deepest part of the field. So if you hear cover four, that means there are four defenders covering the back half of the – the back portion of the field, two corners and two safeties. Cover three, two corners – and there's variations here, don't get me wrong. There's two corners, there's a single safety. Cover two, two deep safeties. That's the way. Now, people can do little variations where you could do cover two invert, where you bring up your two safeties and have them play hook to flat and drop your two corners and have them play deep half. But there's different variations of this whole principle. What the Browns are doing is when they show you cover two looks, and if I'm a quarterback and I step up to the line and I see, okay, two deep safeties on the hashes, It's probably going to be cover two with corners at different levels. The corners are closer to the line of scrimmage. If you see your back half as a quarterback, if I come up to the line and I see the safeties and corners kind of at a similar depth, I'm thinking cover four. They're sort of forming an umbrella there. If I walk up to the line and I see identify single high safety, I'm identifying this probably going to be either cover three or cover one. That's as simple as it gets. Cover one means we have just one high safety playing deep, and it's just man-to-man underneath. So that's the premise. The Browns show you cover two, they're running a form of cover two. The Browns show you cover three, they're running cover three or cover one. You can really, as a quarterback, adjust your mind with cover three and cover one really quickly. You can sort of unfold it based on where the corner's initial drop step is. So Derek Carr never felt uncomfortable. He always had a feel for what the Browns were doing. If the Browns heated him up, he had a feeling for where to go because he always knew what the general coverage was behind it. That was the problem. The Browns do not disguise. They need to watch some tape of the Buffalo Bills. I hate to say that, but watch mm-hmm. what the Bills did to Kirk Cousins just last week. They literally ran cover three looks, rolled to cover four. Cover four looks, bumped down to cover three Rob. They are doing things to mess with the quarterback's ability to see the field. Oakland did it to Baker Mayfield several times. The one time the Browns did it, they rolled to a different variation of cover two where they brought gains back deep brought him, rolled him deep, and that's the ball that came off Cook's hand and was intercepted. Hmm. They don't do it enough. Quarterbacks feel so comfortable throwing against it. And that's where you see a guy like Derek Carr who can take advantage of tight ends and check down throws to running backs. That's how you beat the Browns. They're either bailing or they're too aggressive at the line of scrimmage and leave their guys vulnerable in man-to-man coverage. And what you see is generally what you get. You're going to drop a D-tackle or d out in coverage every now and again. You'll get that. But for the most part, you're not being disguised on the back half of the defense. And as a quarterback, I feel very comfortable knowing that typically what I get from the Browns' pre-snap is what I get from the snap for your defense to be successful and there's no deceiving the quarterback because the glaring holes become obvious. And if you get, if you notice in this game, John, Derek Carr became more and more comfortable as the game wore on. It just, You could see him settling into a rhythm. And when you're not doing that and you're relying on getting turnovers to solve your problems, you're running the risk. And there's no doubt about that. Week two, they did a nice job on Drew Brees, but they created turnovers to get where they got. Week one, they created turnovers to get where they got. Ben picked them apart for the most part. Sam Darnold week three is an exception, but that's a rookie quarterback on a short week Thursday night, so that's always possible. So... Take, take that for what it is, man. The defense has got a good group, and I'm not trying to bail on Greg Williams. I, I sometimes see the logic in what he's doing, but they have to work on deception. Otherwise, you're going to see good quarterbacks that have a feel for what those guys are doing, and more and more, you're going to see latent games where they just pick it apart, and they slowly, it's death by a thousand cuts. That's what it is, John.
1: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have any qualms about uh, bailing on Greg Williams. Uh, I'm not his biggest fan. This is known, uh, and you make a, a lot of really good points. Uh, you know, regarding the how easy it is to identify our coverage, and you know, not only that, but even when you know, even beyond that, they got some throws off that shouldn't be possible on cover two a couple times. You know, and I, I so I don't think that they're executing it all that well either. Not disguising very well, but uh, you know, a lot of times those aggressive blitzes are telegraphed as well. So you combine those two, and you get a nice little soup of uh, of bad defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not only like you said they're not disguising well, but they're not being sound and disciplined and covered sometimes as well. I mean, if you look at you look at the touchdown ball to, I believe it was to Cooper that tied it, or at least gave the the Raiders a chance to go for two. They're playing cover 2 and the down corner gets caught chasing the back. Yep. He gets caught chasing the back inside instead of passing that off to his inside linebacker and Carr throws it over his head before Randall can get there. So it's just a mess right now. I mean, and that's sometimes that's how it is. The Browns just didn't adjust in game because they don't have a plan to adjust in game when when teams sort of figure it out and there's a blueprint on paper for how to beat the Browns. You beat man coverage with some different variations of rub routes. You give your, you give your tight end advantageous matchups that he can beat. And then they use double moves. I mean, T.J. Carey's a problem. He is, he is a problem. And teams are picking on him. Oakland specifically picked on him as quickly as they could.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate that this was the week that Mitchell went down. I mean, it's unfortunate he went down at all, but you know, a week earlier and we might have been the ones to grab uh, Breland instead of the Packers. There's no doubt.
0: And that's why I told you before this one in the preview that I had genuine fear about the Raiders' wide receiver group, and they really killed us. Because Martavis Bryant should have had a deep touchdown as well. He was naked in the back half of the end zone, or the back half of coverage, and just dropped it. So if you look at their top three, Jordy Nelson played so well. I mean, that guy, I had arguments with people about signing. That guy can play, dude. Like he oh, might yeah. not have that top level speed he used to, but he's a player and he makes your team better. And that was on full display. And then, I mean, Amari Cooper is, is just, he's just good. And they, they used him as often as they could against, uh, you know, when they traveled away from Denzel Ward, they targeted him as much as they could. So, and, you know, it, it just, it worried me and it reared its head and, they did a nice job of occupying the hash marks. They did a nice job up the middle of the field in the hash marks. And then in man-to-man, they just took advantage of rub routes and checkdowns. And that's how you beat the Browns' defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Cooper's got talent, but we might have helped him out for his best day as a pro. Uh, you know, we, I hate when we make stars of people, um, you know, on a Sunday. And uh, that happens all too often where, you know, the best game of their season happens uh, against the Browns.
0: No doubt. And, and, and again, this this felt 2017 ish in a way yeah. where there were no answers. And that's going to happen. Like the NFL, they're, they're offenses that have stars too. Like, I get that. And again, I'm, I think Greg has done a pretty good job this year for the most part. So I'm not going to sit here and just make it a bash Greg Williams session. I just thought they didn't adjust well in game. Oakland had the upper hand pretty much all game. And it was disappointing to see them allow 45 points put up. Now, th- th- did they play well enough to win it in regulation? You get that first down run with Hyde, we're having a completely different conversation. We're concerned, but you don't see all the issues that reared its head. So, you know, a couple runs that Marshawn Lynch had were pretty undisciplined in terms of pin-pull stuff where guys get caught chasing inside uh, that, that, that lead to some issues on the edge. I, I, I don't know. It's it's still it's a defense you can win football games with, but teams are going to start to see more and more tape and figure out what they're doing. So they better add layers of deception in the back half.
1: Yeah, they really do. They're definitely going to need to make adjustments if they want to continue uh, to be in games uh, because we certainly don't want to be in games like this every week. And, you know, we're going to have much tougher defenses that we run into, so we can't count on 42 freaking points, you know. So, um, you know, at the same time, you know, the offense can't have those turnovers deep in the zone either. You know, that's another thing that could have flipped our, you know, our discussion about the defensive effort. You know, if they don't get those two inside the 20 to score touchdowns, then, you know, this this looks a little different, I think, too.
0: Yeah, they played hard. I mean, they played well enough to win. You're right. Those turnovers, you take seven points off the board right there. So that's seven points off on the pick six. You take off the field goal after the drop, um, after the drop snap, and you take off – Uh, excuse me, take off the uh, touchdown after the Baker Mayfield fumble on the hit strip sack, you're looking at what – I mean, that's 17 points off the board, so they give up 28 points, the 42-28 win. So, yeah, you're right. Turnovers play into it. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, that that pretty much sums up my thoughts uh, on the defense. Did you have anything else to add?
0: No, that's pretty spot on to me. I mean, the thing I think we have to talk about is special teams. Oh, Jesus. (laughs)
1: the good I mean the good bad and the ugly that's how this show is going
0: (laughs) they're they're giving yeah no kid. they're giving they're giving away yards on on kickoff return sorry kick return so let's cover all aspects of special teams okay they've been anemic in kick return this year somebody tweeted me today uh, I think his name's Matt he does a really good job of giving some insightful feedback I, I, I should have been better prepared to shout him out but he tweeted me today about the Browns kick return and their starting position off of said kick returns. And they started instead of just letting it go into the end zone, they started I think four or five drives inside their own 20. Because they're bringing him out and they're not blocking anybody. Like I get Jabril Peppers isn't a great return man, we we you know, it doesn't take a genius to see that. They're also not blocking anyone either. It's they they just need to stop returning kicks right now. Okay? Kickoff team they're fine because this new kicker is kicking the ball out of the back of the end zone. So that's great. That, that helps. Punt team is anemic through four weeks. They've given up two punt blocks already. <laughs> okay. Punt return averages two penalties a game in punt return. Wow. I mean, what, this is the worst special teams group I can remember like flat out. I cannot remember a worse NFL uh, Brown special. And that's, Everybody made this whole deal about Chris Tabor leaving, whatever. But Hugh Jackson has to be held accountable here. So this is a point that I had, and you and I have discussed this. As a head coach, you take responsibility for certain things. And I try to be really fair about this. Typically, head coaches account for three things. Mental mistakes, right? That's a big part of it. Okay. Penalties, which tie into mental mistakes. But penalties, a coach usually takes part in that. He says that's his accountability aspect that he has to have his guys understanding certain parts of the game. Those are two big problems. Mental mistakes, constant mental mistakes, constant penalties that hurt their team. And the third is special teams. Every head coach that I've ever been around, whether I was playing or coaching, have preached about that their, their pride as a head coach is their special teams units being successful. At least the best head coaches I've ever been around or read about. And this is just it's bad. And Hugh Jackson all he does is say, We know we got to get better. Well, you better find a way to get better because you have NFL players devoted to doing this all week. And that's the product you're putting on the field. It is it is beyond unacceptable. And somebody has to be held accountable. Obviously, Amos has to be held accountable, but a head coach has to say, I'm just I'm just gonna coach him myself. Like eventually you have to just step to the plate and coach him. Like it's it's getting that bad. I'm not, I'm not sure what other way to put this. I mean, it's obviously I'm not putting all the blame on you. But at the end of the day, somebody holds – you want to talk about the decisions are mine to make at the end of the day. Well, the decisions that go wrong are yours, are yours too. And you hired this guy, and you hired these players to be on your roster, these back-end guys. You have a veto power to say, I need this guy, that guy. Can we for, – for God's sake, John, can we just bring in a return specialist? What are we doing with the likes of Rod Streeter or Derek Willis can we just just bring in somebody who only returns kicks and punts and is effective at it? it's not it's not hard. It is not hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you said it well. Uh, you know the the NFL this is what it, this is what it comes down to. the NFL is a low margin league, you know, and you can't afford to, you know walk into every single contest this year, giving up you know, giving up that phase of the game and starting off behind the eight ball. You know, and these guys, you know, we said it, I think, in the preview show of the season, you know, because it was apparent even in the preseason how bad this was. Uh, you thought maybe that you'd see some corrections, but if anything, it's gotten worse. And we talked about it at that show. We said that, you know, this this legitimately could be a big enough problem to lose games for us. And it has. You know, it, we, we lost one game uh, on the kicking game. Uh, it's and the return game has had an impact in every single uh, game that we played this year.
0: Yeah, you can't. and I didn't talk about the field goal team. First off, when their opposing teams are kicking, they don't even make an effort to block the kick. Pay attention to that next week. <laughs> they don't even make an effort to block the kick. Yes, field goal kicks have given them issues. They cost them the game. I Very fairly, if we had a kicker that could make some kicks— they win the they win the Saints game and they could probably have a better chance at winning that Steelers game now I think that ball's getting blocked no matter what, but whatever uh, i I get it so that that part of it has been a failure as well now the new you know obviously they kicked it well yesterday that wasn't that wasn't a problem but
1: yeah it looks like just, he improved
0: yeah and it, yeah it was fine it's it's what you want your kicker to be so i I don't know what to say John I just don't know how bad you can be. At this, and you like you said, it was obvious in the preseason, and it was a building effect that you could see from the first, I think, from the Giants game in the preseason, week one of the preseason. You could just sort of sense these problems coming, and they've only gotten worse. So, and I like the likes of back end guys who need to make a difference in these sorts of things, like Denzel Rice is averaging a penalty a game. That guy obviously is a good athlete, and he was fine in the preseason in slot coverage, but he's not playing on Sunday afternoons. He's there to make special teams plays. You kept him over the likes of Jeff Janis. What are you doing? What What are you doing, and why, why is this guy on the field? It is an embarrassment to the franchise when you're putting guys who consistently fail in the same situations. It's a problem, John.
1: Yeah, it's a big one. You know, I mean, ultimately, Hugh needs to step in, like you said. It's time for him to step in because – it, it could actually cost him his job. Imagine, like, of all the mistakes Hugh makes uh, and has made since he's been here uh, since 2016, uh, it may be him firing Tabor and hiring Amos that uh, ultimately gets him fired. That's amazing to me.
0: Without a doubt. There's, there's no doubt that the special teams has taken a large step backwards, and that was, that's really inconceivable.
1: Yeah, and you know that's a little bit of the grass is greener type uh, scenario for a lot of fans. Uh, you know, I've, I've made complaints in the past about Tabor who was here forever. Um, you know, but it wasn't like this was some mystery or he went with a known or with a new coach that you weren't sure what you were going to get. Amos was known. You know, we we heard right when he was hired that it was going to be bad. Like that was the I mean, immediate. It was terrible
0: word. in Arizona. It yes. was bad. It, yes. the stats showed it. So, it's know, just it's amazing, John. It is freaking amazing that this is what it's come to. I know. Like, it, it's not rocket science, what you're doing. Like, the Browns have constant miscommunications on their offensive line over the last two years. Look at Bob Wiley's track record as an offensive line coach. The guy has had, like, 30 jobs in 30 years. I'm sorry, but if you're good at your job, you have some consistency in your location. It is just obvious. It's, it is not. I'm sorry, man, but this is not rocket science. And, and I, I don't think guys want to work with you the better end coaches because you can see the writing on the wall and you, people can get mad at me all they want and say, I blame you for everything. Well, there sometimes has to be an accountability a head coach has when your quarterback and center botch a snap exchange. Yes, that is on Baker Mayfield and that is on JC Tredder but there is no doubt John that those two should have been working together more in the preseason and in camp. And maybe that doesn't happen. It, it, they're they they do not want to do, they don't, Nobody wants to blame it, and I started tweeting this out. Just blame the fans. Like It's nobody's fault because that's what you get. There are apologists out there who don't understand that it is like the CEO of any company. You are in charge of all aspects. You are in charge of how your coaches coach. You are in charge of how your players play. You are in charge of how your players are motivated. You are in charge of the steps that your franchise takes, and if they're failing, it's on you. It is not on anybody else, and I would guarantee – John, that if they put the mic in front of Hugh Jackson, I would hope that he says the same things. Because I know, I do know, that he, and this is like, this is this is not uncommon for NFL head coaches, that they will off the record call in the beat writers and show them instances where there's nothing I could do. Hugh Jackson's known to do that. <laughs> he, he is known to do that off the record. So, and I don't care, man. Like, I don't care. I've just been told stories. And this is not to beat anyone up, but the guy deflects blame as well as anyone I've ever seen in the NFL and that's I'm limited in this maybe that i'm just I'm just speaking personal experience and he deflects blame he does not take blame he never will take the right blame so this is this is just this is the bed the franchise has made to lay in so maybe this year it's not all Hugh Jackson's fault and that I can I can understand that, but you also know that it's really hard for a fan base to just push the reset button on a coach who's 1-31 and not carry any of that negative baggage with him into this year. If this was a new head coach, perhaps we're giving him a little benefit of the doubt and we're, we're saying let him give it. We know who he is. He's not changing. So the accountability issues, the special teams issues, the little things that get glossed over are not changing. So, you either just hope that the browns find a way to win and overcome because they 're not out coaching anyone, you hope they find a way to overcome and just talent prevails and that 's just where i 'm at buddy i'm sorry that was a long tangent, but the browns just have to overcome it
1: no I, I agree and that's uh, you know i won't i won 't rehash like everything that you said there because I agree with almost all of it uh, have for a while you know, but for people that bought into this bullshit that they sold. Last year, at the end of the year, that there weren't any players, and it wasn't Hugh's fault uh, that they were tanking on purpose. All these types of things that a lot of people bought hook, line, and sinker. Well, here it is. This is a good, talented team, and we're sitting here one, two, and one with an awful lot of bad decisions made that started it in the off season by hiring Amos. You know, you know, and really retaining Hugh you know, to begin with was just a poor idea. Uh, but you know, they decided that they hadn't given them enough of a chance and here we are, you know, but I don't think I'm gonna... not
0: surprised. The results don't surprise me. Not at all. With you, with Hugh Jackson, the, the, the outcome that we've seen. And again, I, it is not, and I hate Hugh Jackson thing with me. It is not, but the facts are the facts and they have not found ways to win games. They could win with Hugh Jackson blame whoever you want. But at the end of the day, If my company does not meet its goal as a sales target or as a retention target, guess who's held accountable? The flipping boss of the company. That's how it works. The boss of our office, that's how it works. You figure out a way to motivate your people and get them to the goals that they need to get to. That's his job, and he's not getting it done. They're not winning games. So someone's held accountable. It's not about being crazy, and I want to drive the coach out of town. It's a results-oriented business, the NFL. And if you're not getting the results – You're held accountable, John. That's how it works.
1: That is how it works. That's that's what that's what happens when you are in management, and that's what he is. He is, you know, uh, he's supposed to manage his players. He's supposed to pick his lieutenants Uh, uh, and put people in the best. Uh, positions to succeed. And he's just, you know, that's one thing that, you know, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. If you have very little, like we had in 2016, or now where we have, you know, I don't know what it is, maybe somewhere around league average talent, but plenty enough to compete every Sunday. It doesn't matter any of the time in between. You look at it, and Hugh has never put these players in the best chance for success, you know, uh, to where they could play to their strengths, things like that. He's failed consistently to do that so you know this guy you know if we had the most talented roster in the league which based on our salary cap uh, you know you might see a, a ton of talent added in the next 24 months um, you know is anybody believe that uh, he's gonna he's gonna beat a Peterson or a uh, McVeigh in the playoffs
0: no no John you don't go into any game feeling like you have the coaching advantage when, when I couldn't tell you the last time I've ever felt that way I don't even know if I have ever felt that way this whole thing so you know he's he's gonna he's coaching for his life man they they, if they they got to find a way to they got to find a way to win games and if they don't win i don't feel sorry for him because it just it, it it's it's results buddy you win games and you stay that's how simple it is
1: i agree well i guess we should put that to bed and move on here um You know, on to the next week, you know, I'm hoping, uh, you know, when when we break that down, I'm hoping that we can find some reasons for hope in this tough division game. Uh, It's critical for the year that uh, the Browns, if they're going to try and compete this year in this division, then they've got to take this one from Baltimore when they have them at home. Um, so it's a critical game and, uh, we'll see how it goes. And as we break that down, you know, a little later this week, we'll see if, how much of a chance we end up thinking that there is.
0: There's no doubt. You better be ready for a group in Baltimore that plays really physical defense at all levels. And then obviously Joe Flacco loves to use his tight end and loves to use his running back. So they better figure that out, man.
1: Yep. All right. Well, you know, I guess with that, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Cosmo. Uh, you know, you can find Jake in a number of places. You want to rattle those off, Jake?
0: Yeah, you can find me at, at Jake underscore Burns eighteen. That's my personal account, and then obviously the film bro- uh, sorry film breakdown page at BrownsfilmBDN, and that's on Twitter as well.
1: All right, Jake. Well, you know, I thought maybe I had cooled off a little bit over the night, uh, but I <laughs> found just as many things to rant uh, rant on as uh, I would have last night. So we'll hope for some better uh, things happening down the week, and I uh, will talk to you then. All right, buddy. As usual, go around until you figure it out. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends,
0: whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.